Hello. Today, we're going to play a game, and it's called Diction Dash, where you guess the true meaning or origin of a word. See, for months, you have sent us words that you want us to cover on the show. And for months, we have shamefully ignored them. And over time, the list has grown to over 200 words, an insurmountable lexical mountain. And so today, with the help of our friends and coworkers at Science Friday, we are tackling 2.5% of the beast, aka five words. You're welcome. I'm Johanna Mayer, and this is Diction Dash. All right, let's get into it. First up, radio producer Kathleen Davis. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Johanna. What listener-selected word did you choose? So I'm feeling ready for summer. Me too. So I'm bringing you a word that will probably elicit some warm weather feelings. I am here for it. (laughs) So are you familiar with the dandelion? I am very familiar with the dandelion. Yeah, it's a wildflower. Uh, Just a side note, there are actually a lot of species of dandelions all over the world, but the ones that we are most familiar with in North America were actually introduced from Europe, and then they just spread and spread, which they're very good at doing. So the dandelion has this big yellow flower head, and then at the end of its life cycle, it turns into a whole bunch of seeds that float away in the wind. It's They're white and fuzzy and... Uh, At least for me, an important part of my childhood was blowing those seeds into the wind and and spreading spreading weeds into my parents' backyard. (laughs) Absolutely. I have very clear memories of doing this. Of course. Um, So if we split up the word dandelion, there's a part of this word that's a pretty obvious allusion to an animal, right? The lion part, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I want you to guess what the remaining part of this etymology refers to. So the dandy part. So I have a quick quiz for you. Okay. Um, I, I want you to guess what does the dandy refer to? Is it a coat, a flower, smoke, or teeth? I'm going to say flower. So it's actually teeth, which I think is the biggest curveball of that list. Wait, so why would it be called teeth lion? Yeah. (laughs) So this word dandelion actually comes from 14th century French. So if you know any French, this is a simplification of the phrase dent de lion, which means lion's tooth. I'm still confused. It still makes no sense. Dandelions look nothing like a lion's tooth, but I do love that etymology. Right. So this lion's tooth part actually refers to the dandelion leaf. They're really jagged. So I guess if you hold it like horizontally, it would sort of look like a jaw with a bunch of sharp teeth. Huh. Dandelion, lion's teeth. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for this wonderfully uh, weird piece of knowledge. Anytime. Bye, Johanna. Bye, Kathleen. Next up, Diana Montano, the mastermind behind all Science Friday events, including Perfectly Trivia Nights. Hey, Diana. Hey, Johanna. How's it going? Great. I cannot wait to hear what word you have. I chose 11, which I was personally also very invested in. Definitely don't know where the word came from uh, or didn't. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense because we have 13 and 14, 15. Why isn't it just one teen? It will all make sense by the end. Don't worry. So um, I have come up with 
two lies and one truth for you. And so you have to tell me which one of the origins of the word 11 is true. I'm ready. All right. So uh, your first option is that 11 comes from the Roman numeral XI, uh, which if you say it in Greek, if you pronounce the Greek letters of X and I, um, you get Xivona, which kind of evolves as languages do into 11. I know it's 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 not exactly right, but it's close, right? I could see it. I can see it. Yeah, so it just it just comes from XI. That's it. The second option is from the Old English, and my Old English is a little rusty, so don't judge me too much. Uh, and Levon, which translates to one left or one leftover, kind of like if you have 11 of something and you take 10, you have one left. And the last one is uh, 11Zs or 11s rather. <laughs> it's a light refreshment taken for, at about 11 a.m. Uh, and it's actually, I don't know if you knew this, uh, 11s is actually named after a kind of unrisen cake called Elveneers. And so it's kind of, again, as languages evolve, things sound kind of similar. Uh, and so that's why it's called not just 11s, but also 11. All right. So you've got three options. XI, one left, or 11s. What do you think? <laughs> I really want it to be elevenses, just because that's so fun. But um, I think I'm going to go with the Roman numerals with XI. Oh, I'm so sorry. I made that up. That is an elaborate lie. Thank you. I'm um, very impressed. So do I get a second chance? Do I get a second guess? Go for it. Yeah, there's two left over. We've got elevenses and uh, the Old English and Levon. And Levon is my guess. There you go. You got yes. it. Yes. Yeah. So essentially, the way that they think that it happened is that uh, we had numbers one through ten, and we didn't really need numbers bigger than that for a long time. What when we did eleven and twelve are essentially the highest we went before we started actually uh, coming up with real systems to count. So. You needed one more after 10, and sometimes you needed one more after 11. So 12 also follows that that rule. I It's like basically two left over. Uh, so that's how you get 11 and 12. It's interesting because I know in, I think in several languages, but definitely in Japanese, the, the words, it literally means like 10 and 1. Yeah. 10 and 2, 10 and 3. And it like follows that format, building on the word for 10. But with us, we just have these totally new words for those two numbers. Yeah. And in English, the number system is mostly logical. You got 13, 14, 15, 21, 22, 23, and then it keeps going, right? Consistent pattern. Uh, so the thinking is with these deviant number names, uh, they just developed a lot earlier. They're old words we use a lot, so they kind of just stuck around. And so as you get higher, the numbers kind of start to make more sense as opposed to 11, one leftover. Thank you so much, Diana, for solving this lifelong mystery for me. Anytime, Johanna. Lauren Young, Science Friday writer and digital producer. Hello, Lauren. Hey, how's it going? I am great. So you have a listener suggested word for us. What are you teaching me about? 
I, I'm a digital producer at Science Friday, and I was really curious about the word digital. So um, I'll give you a few origin stories, and you have to figure out the right one. Okay. I have gotten every single quiz wrong so far today. <laughs> so awesome. Let's see if this stays consistent. <laughs> Maybe this will break the losing streak. Okay. So number one. It came from the invention of touchscreens, our fingers, our digits, manipulating and interacting with with the device. Number two, it came about in the late 1930s to early 1940s when mathematicians and engineers created the first computers that processed information as a series of digits. Or three, it came from the cleric Digitus of Constantinople, who started a digital cult who met in caves and built small proto-calculators they believed could predict the weather. What? So which of those three do you think is right? One, two, or three? (laughs) I've been so impressed with the fake answers that people are writing. They're, like, so creative. So I do not think that it's the first one with touchscreens, because my guess is that this word precedes touch screens. I'm gonna say B. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. Did you just totally make up the Digitus cult? Yes, completely. Very impressive lie. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, obviously we associate it today with like new technology and the internet and, and computing and all that, but digital is actually a really old word. So one of its first uses, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> was around the 15th century. Basically, they called whole numbers anything less than 10 a digital. Um, it has its root in Latin digitalis, which comes from digitus, but not referencing the cleric. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, digitus relates to finger or toe, so our, our digits. Uh-huh. So for a long time, that's all digital meant pertaining to fingers and toes. But we count on our fingers, on our digits, so that's probably where you get the connection between our fingers, um, our digits, and numbers. So from there, engineers in the 20th century described any machine or computer that made use of binary code as a digital computer. So that was around the 1940s. Um, This obviously has since progressed technology has advanced over time and so more information can be coded digitally like you know digital music on discs and stuff like that but it all links back to counting numbers with our fingers that was fascinating thank you so much lauren of course three words down two to go after the break we learn about where domestic cats came from and how a Boy Scout craft became synonymous with pointless busy work. And I keep striking out. Do you want me to read any of them again? No, I feel pretty solidly in my gut that mm-hmm. the answer is A. Why do you feel that way? It just sounds right. Yeah, no, that's fair. I actually, you're wrong. Uh, but I- <laughs> when we come back. Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Bosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. 
It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Hey, Christy Taylor, radio producer. What word do you have for us today? Okay, this word, I'm really pumped about it because it's a word I keep getting stuck in my head all the time and then wondering what it means. So I'm really glad to like have a solid like handle on it now. And that word is crepuscular. Crepuscular. Can you spell that for me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> crepuscular. Let's say that a few more times. Uh, C-R-E-P-U-S-C-U-L-A-R. Crepuscular. This sounds like it's... Sounds like it's going to be something gross. I know, doesn't it? But your options actually are, one, A, having a wrinkled surface like crepe fabric or crepe paper, Hmm. B, of resembling or relating to twilight, Ooh, the opposite of gross, and then C, feeling or expressing great sorrow or distress. Mm. So crepuscular is one of those three things. Do you want me to read any of them again? No, I feel pretty solidly in my gut that the Mm -hmm. answer is A. Why do you feel that way? It just sounds right. It's all (laughs) crepuscular, could be wrinkly and Mm -hmm. fabric-y. It just sounds right. Yeah, no, that's fair. I actually, you're wrong. Uh, but I actually went down a really big rabbit hole, like trying to figure out there was a relationship between crepuscular and crepe paper or crepe fabric. And as far as I can tell, there is not. But the clue I'm going to give you to the real answer is cats. Cats. Oh, 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 okay. I know it's B. It's got to be B. It's yes. B. Yeah. Because okay, great. I think I know why. But can you tell me why? Sure. So just to remind uh, everyone else, B was of resembling or relating to Twilight. More specifically, when we're talking about cats um, and other animals, crepuscular means that's when they're active. Mm -hmm. So they're active in the lower light parts of the day, twilight or dawn. Yes. Well, I recently got two cats during quarantine, and I am very, very familiar with the schedule that cats (laughs) are on. Uh Uh-huh. And there are a lot of animals like cats that are like that. Many animals are diurnal, which means they're active during the day. Other animals are nocturnal, meaning they're active during the night. And then we have these crepuscular animals, which are active during, my opinion, the best parts of the day, which is, you know, these lower light times. And there are a lot of reasons, actually, why uh, animals might make this choice, so-called choice, Hmm. um, for cats, which house cats are actually descended from desert creatures. Um, Really? There are a lot of cats that are not desert animals, but cats are, our our house cats are most closely related to desert cats. did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the big factors in crepuscular animals is temperature range. So twilight and dawn and dusk are really good times to be active if your environment is very hot during the day and very cold at night. Huh. Yeah. 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 What are some other crepuscular animals? Great question. Um, Some other ones are rabbits, ferrets, uh, the very charismatic red panda, many, many, many insects. And actually, that's where we may have seen the first description of crepuscular animals is is in this like 1826 uh, zoology document about crepuscular insects. Um, But then also moose. 
I'm just throwing okay, that in. Moose. Nice. <laughs> so you've got a good variety. <laughs> all very good animals. Very, very good right. animals. And not all of them are desert animals, but many are. And you also identify as a crepuscular animal, right, Christy? I do. <laughs> like, the light's the most interesting. I get sleepy, like, at full daylight. And I just wish, like, my day could be 5 a.m. to 12 p.m. That would be a great way to live. <laughs> uh, do you want to hear a little bit more about where the word crepuscular comes from? I absolutely do. So it's all Latin, Latin all the way Uh down. And it started with this word crepusculum, which relates to the crepuscule or twilight or dusk. Still sounds gross. I know. (laughs) It sounds so gross. And yet it's like a beautiful time of day. And then um, that comes from this other Latin word, which is craper, which just refers to duskiness or darkness. So there you have it. That's the word crepuscular. It is not gross at all. And it is, in fact, one of my favorite words for describing anything that is a cat. Christy, thank you. I loved learning about this. You're very welcome. Alexa Lim, senior producer at Science Friday. Welcome back to Science Diction. We meet again. What listener suggested word do you have for us today? My word today is boondoggle. Do you know what boondoggle means? I didn't even know it was a real word, so no, I do not know what boondoggle means. Do you have a general idea what boondoggle means? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, all right. You know, that's the point of this, so you don't need to know what it is. There are a few definitions. This one from dictionary.com. It says, work of little or no value done merely to keep or look busy. It can also be a verb to boondoggle, basically to do this kind of useless work in order to look busy. I am familiar with this concept, if not the word. So I'm going to give you a quiz on where the word came from. Specifically, where in the world do you think it came from? Okay, I'm ready. So did the word originate in A, England? B, the Philippines, or C, the United States. Boondoggle. It's, I'm going to say the United States. In Texas, specifically. Okay, I think you're trolling me now because that's where I'm from. But you are correct. United States. The word boondoggle has often been used to refer to government waste. So it all started on April 3rd, 1935. Uh, let's see. What happened on that date? 1935. Did it have anything to do with the Great Depression? Funny you say that because, yes. At the time, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was president and he was rolling out the New Deal. And part of that was the Works Progress Administration, the big public program during the Great Depression, trying to find a way to keep people paid and busy. So, of course, there was a lot of scrutiny about how money was being spent. Mm -hmm. And on April 3rd, 1935, there was a hearing in front of New York City's Board of Aldermen. They call in some people who'd been employed under the program to testify. And these people explain that they teach classes to kids and adults. Classes like shadow puppets. There was another teacher who taught something called eurythmic dancing, which the teacher explained was a type of dancing that could be performed in bathing suits or shorts or (laughs) any athletic costume, really. And the aldermen found this just hilarious. They asked the teacher lots of questions, clearly just meant to mock her. But the chair of the board, Bernard Deutsch, he's not finding any of this funny. He's just super exasperated listening to where this government money is going. And then one teacher... Robert Marshall tells them about a class that it just sends him over the edge. It was a class where he taught kids to make what he called boondoggles. 
And Deutsch, he just, he like stops in his tracks and basically said, what the hell is a boondoggle? (laughs) (laughs) A valid question. And Robert Marshall explained that back in the pioneer days, a boondoggle was just any gadget that, quote, men and boys would like to make to make their lives easier. He gave some examples, tents, belts made out of pieces of leather, ropes woven together from scraps. And this explanation actually just pissed the chair off even more. He was just incensed. They're paying for useless crafts and to cap it off, it was this ridiculous sounding word. So after that, the word boondoggle just went viral. Newspapers picked up the story. Republicans were incensed that they were wasting all this money. FDR, on the other hand, he kind of liked the word. (laughs) He was like, boondoggle? He's like, if the country could boondoggle its way out of the depression, he'd be okay with that. So after that, boondoggle got this politicized association with government waste. But the question is, when did the word boondoggle first show up? Robert Marshall had said it was an old pioneer word. No evidence for that. Instead, as the story goes, there's a guy from Rochester named Robert Link who said he invented the word. He said that the word just popped in his head when he saw his newborn son kind of like squirming around and he thought, boondoggle. (laughs) That's so insulting. And a few years later, the Boy Scouts are looking for a name for this kind of scout craft. These things where you take strips of leather or it can be other materials and braid them into Mm -hmm. a little rope and you can use it as a bracelet. Uh You've seen these things probably. They still exist. Oh, I've... I've made these things. Robert Link, who said he invented the word boondoggle, he's a former Boy Scout. And he sees this craft. And again, he's like, those are boondoggles. (laughs) What a convoluted path. Okay, so to recap, man sees squirmy baby, calls it a boondoggle. Then man sees braided things made by scouts, calls them boondoggles. (laughs) Then boondoggle becomes any kind of dude DIY gadget. And and when the word makes its way to the relief spending hearing in New York City, boondoggle transforms into shorthand for wasteful government spending. But, twist. Of course there's a twist. Of course. Not everyone believes Robert Link's story that he invented. I don't believe Robert Link's story that he invented it. He seems suspect. (laughs) Well, there's another theory. That the word boondoggle way back actually does come from the Philippines. The Filipino word bundok means mountain but is also the name of several regions in the Philippines. Hmm. And the theory goes that American soldiers in the Philippines took the word bundok, turned it into boondogs, like going to the boondogs, and then they start saying boondoggling. So a lot of gaps in this theory, but it's in the running. So in a final conclusion... (laughs) (laughs) We don't know for sure how the word boondoggle first came into existence. But thanks to a New York City hearing looking at government spending in 1935, we now use boondoggle to refer to wasteful activity. Love that story, Alexa. Okay, great. All right. Well, that was mildly humiliating for me, but... Perhaps I will be able to redeem myself because we are going to be doing more of these diction dashes and we still want your suggestions. So if you have a word that you've always wondered about, send us an email at podcasts at sciencefriday.com. That's podcasts at sciencefriday.com. We will add your word to the lexical mountain and we might just cover it. Science Diction is produced by me and Ella Fetter. Ella is also our editor and senior producer. Daniel Peterschmidt is our composer. Robin Palmer fact-checked this episode. 
Nadia Ortelt is our chief content officer, and she says regular coffee just has an inadequate protein quotient. So every morning, she mashes up some kidney beans into her brew and eats it with a spoon as she watches the sunrise. I know. It sounds so gross. And yet it's like a beautiful time of day. We'll be back in a couple weeks. See you then.